0: Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today.
1: So you've been part of every medium at this point. You've done... Uh, obviously Broadway uh, and your your shows. What what excites you the most? Like, is there a particular medium where you're like, hey, I think I want to invest more energy in in this direction?
2: I'm really falling in love with theater again and the possibility of theater. And I'd love to see like Long Day's Journey Tonight in an all Latin cast or Street Parting Desire in an all Latin cast, because we have the population in the Triborough area to keep that sucker funded for, for years. I think it's a great place to be challenged as, a, as an artist because it's the most difficult, it's the Olympics of acting. That's for damn sure. There's no cutting. There's no editing. There's nothing going to save you except your skill set.
1: On today's episode of Yang Speaks, actor and comedian John Leguizamo is joining. You guys don't want to miss this. He is a fascinating guy. Tune in, John Leguizamo on Yang Speaks right now. It is my pleasure and privilege to welcome to Yang Speaks my friend, one of the great artists of this era, Tony Award winner, been in, oh my gosh! What is it, man? Like eighty movies, hundred
2: movies. Not all them good, though. hundred movies.
1: Uh, director, producer, stand-up comedian, John Leguizamo. Welcome, John. It's so great Thank to you, see you. Thank you. You've got the Knicks cap on. Am I right that you actually just attended the greatest sporting event in recent memory, which is the Knicks playoff victory in the oh. Garden uh, the, the other night? Did that happened.
2: Oh, my God. Eight years that we have not been in the playoffs and this year pandemic. And all of a sudden we're in Madison Square Garden at almost like, what, 90 percent capacity. People, yep. it was, was screaming and yelling and hollering and loving. I mean, it was incredible, man. The energy was unbeatable. It was it was it was better than the game, <laughs> even though we won.
1: I want to hear all about this. So first, uh, who did you bring to the game? Did you go with friends? Did you go with family? Like, oh, my with? wife, my wife,
2: with my wife, Justine. Well,
1: yeah. th- well, this is an incredible date, then. This is very exciting. And then, do you do the VIP treatment experience? Or you just like walk in, or like, what, what, like, what did you do?
2: Yeah, you know, you know, we got little, we got little <laughs> juice, we got a little juice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to front. We got some swag. So, we, you know, we walk in. We, we got courtside seats. But you have to wow. do have to test, even though you're double-backs or, or whatever. You still have to test an hour before and test negative. And you still have to wear a mask if you're going to be that close to the players. But, you know, it, it was fun. I was hanging out with Sting and um, uh, Victor Cruz. Uh, uh, there, there was a ton of folk there, man. Chris Maloney. Uh John McEnroe and his brother Patrick. Yeah. It, it, have not been with the best.
1: Yeah, because cause all of New York City is coming out for this game. Uh, you know, Nick's being back in the playoffs. You got the courtside treatment. That's incredible. And you and I probably had a similar experience. We can share this for a minute. Um, where you grew up in Jackson uh, Heights in, in the Queens area. And so um you probably did the same thing I did, which is um every once in a while you get lucky and get some like nosebleed seats for like a while. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you yeah. No, you'd end up um so I remember that very well.
2: How about the Shea Stadium when it used to be around? Because I'm a little older than all y'all. I'm older than dirt now, and uh, we used to st- stand on the subway platform to watch and hear the game. <laughs> Those are ghetto seats. <laughs> uh,
1: I remember Shea Stadium. Uh, I remember the subway platform and like it being shown on TV and all the fans like you know having a good time out out there. Um, I remember for the Garden, there was a period john where they actually sold ten dollar knicks tickets to games um, and, they, and they went they went like this it was in the late 90s early 2000s um and uh, believe it or not i managed to get my hands on like some ten dollar tickets mm-hmm. and so you'd be there and it was like you know the worst right. seats in the house but one thing you'll, you got to say about the garden there really aren't many bad seats like you could sit pretty much anywhere no, no. in that place and well, it's and,
2: also and when like, you when you don't know from court side- it's all good. It's until you know what cord-sided VIP treatment is that it then
1: it hurts. I started out in the nosebleeds. Then every once in a while, a, a friend who works in you know banking or something would be like, hey, "Yeah, I got right, the bank So then you'd, you'd you'd like wind up at like you know the two hundred levels, and then you'd like go back. It, it's funny. It's that I think that that's an experience that a lot of new yorkers have which is like you know just the random night when your friend calls you and is like hey i've got the yeah, yeah. tickets <laughs> you and, got and,
2: and you got and you got some other great tickets or some other like hamilton shit and then you're like oh man not tonight not tonight great courtside mixed t- tickets and i got hamilton which i couldn't get you know it always happens like that too when it rains and pours
1: that game i think it might be the largest group of people that have been together in one Building a one room in, in, in New York in, City
2: in a year. Yep.
1: Yeah, no, it's wild, man. You were literally like in the place, like the heart of the action. But safe, uh, but that, but feeling really safe.
2: Feeling so safe because they have a system, you know. I mean, everybody has to be double vaxxed, everybody has to be, you know, uh tested, everybody's got their masks, you know, you just feel incredibly safe.
1: Uh so the game you were at, like Trey Young had a great game, but came oh, a little you. bit short. And I I I mean, I was stunned in game one when uh you know when Trey Young hit that game winner and whatnot and oh. like it, he really he he it reminded me of Reggie Miller during like yeah. the, the next face days when when he became like the villain of the garden i was like yeah. honestly i was like i did not know Trey Young had this in him <laughs> wow, what a player <laughs> like,
2: uh, man i know i didn't know he like he's like a step on curry i mean he's so good in every in every position and everything that he's doing and i, I know he's follically challenged but I love that about him too. <laughs> that the hair ain't perfect and whatnot. It makes him even more lovable because he's got superhuman powers when he becomes a b ball.
1: Trey is not very big, right? <laughs> like, like I've never met Trey. Well, he still um, could take he, both. He of seems us. like he normal human take, size.
2: He, he can still take you, Andrew. Don't get
1: don't oh no, walking. I mean I'm not saying he couldn't take the, the two of us, but I mean the he's thing 6'1. is one of six two. Oh, he's six one, six two. He seems like a normal human out there among like the trees and whatnot. He looks uh, tiny. He look.
2: He look, He looks uh, kind of like, a, a, you know, like a hobbit, but but he
1: ain't. He'll make us. <laughs> he'll make
2: us hobbit like.
1: Are, are you a Nets fan at all? I mean, you're obviously much hard, much harder core Knicks fan. Like, how do you feel about the Nets? Oh, I, I'm loving the Nets this year.
2: I mean, I love Kyrie. <laughs> I love Katie. You know, I, I love the I love their team, man. The team is beautiful. I mean, you know, at New Yorkers, we're not allowed to. You know, you have to have your loyalty and you, and you can't even cross. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't root for the Yankees because I'm a Mets fan. Otherwise people freak out. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't know. Sometimes New York is New York. You know, I, I, I you know, if we don't make it and the Nets make it, I'm going to go to a Nets game.
1: I mean, you just want New York to do well
2: yeah. uh, writ large. Right. Because currently. it has repercussions, you know, and you feel it across the city. You, you, when the Yankees win, the whole city is electric, you know?
1: Yeah. So you've been at this for quite a while, um, and one of the things I always love to ask people like you, who are world-class creatives, is how the heck you got started. Because I feel like getting started in in your field is like the hardest thing in the world. <laughs> you know, like like you you grow no yeah. Like you you go to the local high school. Yeah. Um, you know, in your case, I think you attended NYU for a minute and then dropped out uh, to pursue comedy uh i i want to say
2: yeah i mean being latin back then and being wanting to be an actor was was not the most successful looking choice because you know they just didn't cast us they didn't cast us no matter what we were always casted out you know uh never made it you know like all my white friends that were at nyu studying acting were going to like five editions a day i was going to one every five months
1: so i saw wow. i saw I saw that. You options. must have felt that so acutely because you're oh, in this program clear. and you're like, wait a minute. Like, yeah. you know, that, like, like, there just aren't as many roles. That's fascinating. That's crazy. Yeah. And
2: I was able to see it firsthand. I was going, wow, why, why don't I have the same options? I studied like them. I have the same grades. I studied with better acting teachers than they did. I studied with Herbert Berghoff and Lee Strasberg. Why don't I have the same opportunities? It because of the way I look and my name. And uh, that came, you know, became a realization really fast. And then I knew you know i started to learn that wow this is this is going to be very difficult and i i need to find other ways to to stay you know sane and and stay creative so i started writing because that's one place nobody could stop me you know nobody could tell me no or 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 exclude wow. me
1: so the stuff you started writing initially was it comedy was it jokes like what did yeah. you start out writing was,
2: yeah I, you know i was writing jokes in high school Cause I had a very competitive comedy table at lunch and you couldn't sit at the table unless you had the best jokes. And if you didn't have them the day before you weren't allowed to sit at the table. So it was mad competitive. So I used to have to write jokes to, to be able to win. Cause you can't just, you know, be improvising. You're not going to come up with the top joke. So yes, yeah, so I started writing then. And then by the time I graduated college, I started uh, writing uh, sort of uh, character sketches. You know, uh, I was doing improv at first amendment, which was this big uh, downtown improv comedy group. That was huge, you know. Bruce Willis went there. Robin Williams would come there, and you know, and 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 a lot of comedians would come there and steal jokes too. That that was a real a real thing
1: I learned too. I mean, some of your jokes they probably couldn't steal because it, it wouldn't make sense for them. Because I'm sure some of them had to do with being Latino. <laughs> yeah, but people people are, people are
2: clever though. Comedians are clever. They they'll know how to flip a joke. <laughs>
1: Don't make yeah, but, it fit. So you're scrapping and clawing for a while in the New York comedy scene. Like, when did you feel like okay, like? this is going to work. you know, like, I'm going to make it, uh, where you started having like, uh, some success in getting cast in various roles. Like what, what, what would you consider your own breakout?
2: My breakthrough moment, uh, when everything just fell into place was when I did my first one man show called mama mouth in 1990. And, uh, you know, they didn't really believe in my show. They kind of believed in my show. But not really, Because I was in the hallway of the theater. I wasn't even in the theater. I was in the hallway of the theater with a makeshift platform, 70 fold-up seats that they would pick up at eight o'clock when the real show started. And and I had to be God, you know, all my audience had to be cleared out. But, you know, the reviews came in and, you know, they were banging, you know, it, it, it and, and all of a sudden in, in this, 70 fold-up seats was Al Pacino, uh, John wow. K. Jr., uh, wow. uh, Olympia Dukakis, Raul Julia, Sam Shepard, Arthur Miller, uh, John Malkovich. It was incredible, man. And, and that that's when everything started to change because I think I learned, the audience was learning, the industry was learning. Wow, Latin content is valuable. Latin content is for everybody. Latin People want to see Latin people. And Latin people definitely want to see themselves. So it, it was a breakthrough moment culturally.
1: It must have been such a small venue, too, where you could literally see their faces. You'd be looking yeah. at and be like, hey, look, <laughs> it's Al it would make me nervous. It's like, it would make me
2: nervous. I get, I would get nervous sometimes because my, my sight was good then and I could see those faces. And sometimes, you know, they're not they they are looking at you, but they're getting tired or sleepy or or whatever. I don't know. They had a rough night. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, you see all that people yawn sometimes. You know, you, yeah, Sometimes I'm glad now that I can't see because all the audience looks like they're they're really just loving it.
1: I'm gonna tell a random story from running for president that's like my parallel, and you know, like I, uh, you know, it's a little bit later on or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but you you have a town hall in New Hampshire and you can see everyone's face. So, so there, there's like this like real like, yeah. you kind of know if it's going well or not. It's one reason <laughs> why you see these various political figures be like, OK, like change it up because you, you see what's working and what's not working. And then I look out there, and then it's like Paul Giamatti sitting there, and then I get distracted. I'm like, "Oh shit, Paul Giamatti's <laughs> <laughs> like, it's too much, it's all too of much." And then, then you like <laughs> block it out and just continue saying what you're saying. But then there's like part of you that I just wanted to stop and be like, "Hey, you know, one like right, right. of yours from you know, like what, you know, whatever movie I saw you um, in." Especially
2: when you see your heroes, it's like when I saw Al Pacino, I was like, you know, I I I, I heard myself stammer because here's your hero watching you perform. It's 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 a little too much. You know, I mean it's a little too much.
1: Well, in your case, it must have felt like such an incredible vindication or knighting where like they're like kind of letting you in the club, where like some people who are heroes of yours who are world class, New York creatives actually took time out, saw your show, and then you get all these great reviews for your material. I can see why you're like, wow, you know, like uh like this is working. And you were what, 26 at the time? Is that right?
2: Yeah, I was 26. And uh yeah, they gave me the confidence to keep going. And then, boom, I wrote my next show, Spicarama, And uh, I won Best Play of 1992 at the Warner Hall uh, Award. And, uh, you know, those those little wins were really important to me because it, it fueled me. You know, it fueled me. And and then when my show, Mumblemouth Mouth, hit HBO, then the Latin audience found me and they would go everywhere. I went Chicago, San Francisco, Texas, wherever I would go, there was a huge Latin audience to be had. And, you know, they just made a church. You know, they it would, it would be calling and response and yelling and hooting, and hollering, and it became electric.
1: That's beautiful. You must have felt so welcomed by the uh, Latino community uh, the whole time because you are one of the most prominent voices uh, in, in my mind in, in the industry. And when you got started, there was probably a, a massive void or vacuum you were filling. You know, one of the things that reminds me of a little bit is I have some folks who are uh, Asian American creatives yeah. and whatnot. And, and some of them also talk about like, hey, I, I only I get cast as the waiter, the gangster, like the <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> right, right. Like whatever like, the Asian American roles are.
2: I know. I, 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 B.D. Wong used to tell me about those stories, you know, like here's this massively talented young man. And, you know, his opportunities are nil, you know, just waiting for that perfect Asian role to come along. You know, I love the way um, Whoopi Goldberg did it. Like when she had started, because she was also a big influence for me, a brilliant, brilliant performer. I saw that her show that Mike Nichols directed on Broadway was life changing for me. But she had them change white roles and male roles to make them a black woman. Just take any script and boom, she, her, her recipe was just make it a black woman. And I was like,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, William that's Goldberg, right. Just make it a black woman. That's a pretty good system. You know, I think people who are listening to this would be like, yeah, let's just like make, make this into yeah. an Asian he, dude. Like,
0: right. Because Hollywood Whatever didn't understand.
2: Hollywood didn't understand how to write for a black woman. They didn't know how to create that uh, farm to create product for her. So she said, just take a goddamn regular motherfucking script and make it about a black woman. Just, and just And it worked. It worked.
1: You know, Whoopi and I became friends over the last number of months, um, you know, uh, through through the view uh, during the presidential. She's been great. Um, she's awesome. She and I got into a lot
2: of trouble uh, <laughs> when, I, when Al Gore was running for president. She and I did the DNC and both of us had raunchy, raunchy material. And, and we got the DNC in so much trouble because both of us, for some <laughs> reason, decided to go like blue and rogue at the same time. And it was too much. Yeah, they couldn't handle it. People are colored going wrong. <laughs> that's really
1: funny. Those are different times too. And oh, yeah. when you show up in person to the DNC, uh, it was a probably a very, very boring crew because I've been to these DNC things and <laughs> like, like yeah, it's not it's exactly dry, a place for yeah, not exactly a place for edgy no, humor. Oh no, no. It was
2: so wrong. But I learned, I learned. I, I never did. Yeah. Next, I, th- I think I did the John Kerry one and I just really toned it down.
1: that's really funny. You were like, I'm just going to play this one right up the middle. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it wasn't a place to be around. It was like, oh, my bad. I read the room wrong.
1: (laughs) I remember when um, I was meant to speak at the the DNC uh, convention this past year. And you actually feel a bit of pressure because you're like, well, the ratings for this are going to be sky high. And you know, you you were Mm -hmm. very, very tightly controlled in terms of time um and and so we had a speech that we prepared and then they gave notes and the only notes they gave john were just trying to cut words <laughs> they're just trying oh, to like wow. make stuff shorter it's yeah, just yeah. like whatever it is is make it shorter like substance like they were cool with the substance yeah yeah uh and and, and then uh, they had me into practice the the dnc speech which is a weird feeling because you're like practicing speaking to the american people and they also tell you that hey, if there's any technical difficulty, we're just gonna play this recording. <laughs> so so right. you so it was like a weird dress rehearsal where you're like, all right, like well, let, let me like um. You know, get, five give me my five people best. in
2: the house. Yeah, let me run five people in the house as I'm talking to America and then be prepared to be cut out. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Like that, that's what it was. And then like time passed, and it was like the real one. And um, it, it was, it was from a studio in New York in that case. And it was like, uh, me and Corey Booker were in the same studio. So we were, um, sharing some time and shooting the shit, uh, How, how great backstage. is he, man?
2: Isn't Corey great? I mean, he's got such a great vibe. He's a
1: great guy. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know. What they're doing, you don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S yang. Go to expressvpn.com yang to learn more. I feel like a couple of the big movie roles I started, you know, like wh- where you became a household name, were Romeo and Juliet and then Moulin Rouge. And I got to say, I was like a big, big Baz Luhrmann fan from back then. Uh, you know, so I not I was just you. curious. Yeah, no, I was, I was curious about whether those experiences. Uh, stuck out for you in some way? Because I feel like, you know, the, the fact that you work with some filmmakers more than once means there's some kind of artistic connection or relationship.
2: Yeah, I, I got to say, I feel very proud of myself that I worked twice and sometimes three times a lot of filmmakers. I feel like they get me. They get that I'm not about ego or vanity or narcissism. I'm just about the work and I want to do the best work and I want everybody to do their the, their best work. And And I come to the game to play that way uh and and with baz who's the most collaborative director i've ever worked with because he wants to know your opinion he wants to know what you want to add to the situation and he welcomes it from everybody from the crew it, i've never seen a director work like that and i and i borrow from him greatly we and, and he rehearses a lot which is another really important thing that only the great directors i've seen do like spike lee did it with us with uh, summer Sam; he rehearsed for two weeks uh uh Brian De Palma also rehearsed this for uh, Casualties of War and, um, and Carlito's Way. Did the great directors know? I mean, it's mostly for theater, but nobody else does it. And and for Moulin Rouge, we did a month rehearsal. Like I had to learn wow. how to speak with a sort of English accent in the lift because so toulouse Trek uh, was the product of two first cousins. So his lips and tongue were kind of like cartilagey, And then he had weak ankles. He had a lot of, a lot of physical issues uh, being the product of two first cousins. So there's a lesson <laughs> for anybody
1: and everybody. <laughs>
2: you know, uh, don't, don't mess around with Fabio that way. But but working with Baz, I mean, it's incredible, man. I mean, some of the scenes had 21 angles, so you had to do it like 40, 50 times, wow. which is really intense. And then you saw that final product. I mean, Moulin Rouge is is brought the musical back. It had been dead since 1972. Grease was the last successful musical, 1972. And here he is bringing it back, 2000. And it came back
1: so you've been part of every medium at this point. You've done uh, obviously Broadway uh, and your your shows. You've been like the voice of Ice Age and the rest of it. You've been in movies, been in TV. At this point, I feel like you could do anything. Like what type of role uh, whether it's like director, producer, writer, like w- what excites you the most? Like, is there a particular medium where you're like, hey, I think I want to invest more energy in, in this direction? Because at this point, I feel like people are going to want you for like, you know, like all of the above. Like, is there a particular area that you're more excited about?
2: Yeah, th- th- there is. I mean, I- I'm really falling in love with theater again and the possibility of theater. And and especially because I'm in New York City and I and I just... Had, had so much success in LA and New York, uh, you know, uh, to bring theater. I would love to see like Long Day's Journey Tonight in an all Latin cast or Street party Named Desire in an all Latin cast because we have the population in the Triborough area to keep that sucker funded for, for years. Look at my dog back there. <laughs> it, lo- oh, wow. it looks like a corpse. looks like a
1: corpse. <laughs> yeah, no, Rocha. man. I wouldn't even Rocha. know that I was alive. <laughs> yeah, <no.
2: laughs> Out of a trial. But yeah, I would love, love, I would love to go back to theater. I think it's a great place to be challenged as, a, as an artist because it's the most difficult. It's the Olympics of acting. That's for damn sure. There's no cutting. There's no editing. There's nothing going to save you except your skill set.
1: Well, one of the things that I talk to folks like you about um, is that I've discovered parallels among politics, comedy performance of different, uh, different types. And so I, I've oh, been yeah? asking folks like, like, like you, if someone were to run for a Senate or president from the creative fields, like who might you pick out and be like, Oh, that, that person could do it. So, so to preface this, I'll tell you about a couple of people who have been called out to me in this uh, direction. Someone said, John Stewart, someone was like, John Stewart could, could do this at like a very, very high level. Um, another oh, person yeah. nominated, uh, Chris Rock, <laughs> <laughs> where, where why not? Why there not? There yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah, why not? Um, I like so
2: Alec Baldwin. A... Alec Baldwin, man. I think I think Alec has the chops, the the, the intelligence, the savvy. I mean, he's just so well rounded. You know what I mean? And he's got that's that a great sort of, choice. Uh, he's got a very especially because he because he played
1: he played the president over and yeah. over again, and and at this point in our in our country, I feel like if you play the president, that's like halfway to, <laughs> to it's to like advertising to, yeah it's
2: like advertising for you
1: so you're investing in theater there's like a show that uh, i want to say that you're uh, in right now or soon to be is it like a waiting for godot revival with ethan Oh uh, yeah uh, yeah like a short run so,
2: yeah yeah uh it's the first time it's the play has ever been allowed to be filmed and it's only allowed to live on this platform for three weeks and then we have to destroy it uh, because the estate. Wait, wait,
1: wait, you, wait. You have to destroy it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's, not allowed, it's
2: not allowed to live. Continue. It's It, it was a one-time only thing because of the pandemic and the situation we're living in that the estate, the Godot estate, the Beckett estate allowed us to film it because it's never been allowed to be filmed. Uh, and, and, you know, there are a lot of rules. Like we're not allowed to cut the script. You're not allowed to change any words. You have to stick exactly to what Beckett wrote. So we had that, but I I thought Ethan Hawke was incredible in it. While Sean is so beautiful, Tariq kills it. I think this is one of the best Godot versions I've I've ever seen. Not just because I'm in it, but because sometimes it gets a little too silly to play for me. It gets a little too ridiculous and, and you just lose all the values. We really researched a lot and tried to understand that Beckett wanted the the depression, the depressing elements to live, the the anger, the 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 the, the being lost, the because it's right after the war, so people were, were hungry, they were homeless, they 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 were lost, you know, everything had been destroyed, Europe was bombed all over the place.
1: This so, does sound like kind of familiar to our time a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we're coming so, out of it.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly, Andrew, exactly. That's why we did it now because we felt it, it was such a parallel to to our feeling, you know, jobless and. And confused and alone and isolated, kind of like the way people felt after World War II.
1: So the shows that you have in mind uh, for New York City—it sounds like they would have Latino, Latina cast uh, involved. Are there particular productions you have your your um, mind like uh, moving towards? Like, are are there things that you, you we can look forward to? I suppose, or is it in the planning yeah. stages still?
2: Oh no, it's in the planning stages. But uh, you know, I'd I love to see a long day's journey tonight. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Or the all Latin cast? Death of a Salesman? Yeah, those. Are, I want to see the classics with Latin people in it because I think it it would really change everybody's perceptions of of, of Latin life and Latin people. You know, and, and and seeing performers. And we know we have we have the, the crowds. You know,
1: you have Latin the people. talent. That's for sure. You have the talent. Oh yeah, we got
2: we got definitely got the talent. You know, uh, and we definitely have the audience. I mean, thirty we're we're equal to whites in population in New York City. And uh, so, yeah, we we got the numbers. Just a matter of, you know, convincing the estates because everything is is controlled by estates.
1: Fascinating. Well, you were one of the pioneers who proved that the audience was there. And it must be incredibly heartwarming for you to see this generation of performers that's come after you. Because I feel like you were one of the trailblazers in the Latino community. And then there are all these folks that have been following your footsteps. Obviously, everyone has a different take in it, a different uh flavor but do do they see you and then they all say to you it's like hey you uh you made me think i could do this <laughs> like i bet you get that a lot
2: i i do and, and it and it and it and it just fed my soul man it fed my soul in so many ways because yeah i felt very lonely you know i was the only latin guy in my acting classes i was always like the only one and then when we, i'd be, go to auditions it'd be like five of us all you know, dressed up as gangsters to play the next. You know, the <laughs> that, that's that's how we feel like. You feel
1: like so are like, hey, you're like the
2: <laughs> all of us like with chains and you know camouflage and talking like, "Yo, what's up, man? What's up, man? You know what you doing, you?" Hey, Louis, louis's mom would be there, and Benicio Toro, Benjamin Brad would be the same, the same cats. And then if it was a janitor, he'd be there also, like in blue, you know, overalls, going, "How you doing? Like, good to see you. Thank you very much. Everything good? Yeah, good. You know, all of us working on our Spanish accents." But, you know, it it, it, it was kind of a lonely situation. And and, uh, there was a lot of glass ceilings and stingy tokenism back then. And to see all these new Latin cats and and girls and young and older getting opportunities that they deserved, you know, not squandering dreams and not wasting all this talent, which I saw for so many years happen.
1: Well, I think that the lesson you took early on, which is just to write your own material, I think is a really powerful one. Uh, because if if you show up to someone else's vision, you're like, wait a minute, like this vision's a pretty narrow conception of what uh, Latins yeah. can do or are, and it's like let, let's try and broaden it. I mean, one of your most impactful works was, I want to say, it was like Latin history for morons, or <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> or it was. It You got it. You Oh, good. Look at that. I I got that right. <laughs> you know, you got the know- power. Oh, thanks, John. But, you know, I, I saw that and I, I, I have to admit, like even looking over your body of work, I was like, wow, there are so many lessons here. Like you really blazed a trail that I feel like other communities could learn from and benefit from.
2: America was not really just created by white people as, as Stephen King or some of those Republican white supremacists want to believe and keep saying. It was built by all of us, you know, by all people of color, uh, Latin people, We've always been here because we had great empires here. Aztec, Mayan, Incan, Southwest tribes uh, that, that became Mexico. And then, you know, California, all the Southwest was Mexico till 18, 1860, 1840s So you, we've been here forever, man, contributing to America. Uh, you know, we're the only ethnic group that's fought in every single war America's ever had. I'm talking about American Revolution, wow. Civil War. There was wow. 10,000 unknown Latino patriots that fought in uh, in the American Revolutionary War. And we donated Juan Miralles of Cuba, got two million dollars donated to George Washington to fight the war from Cuba, Mexico Incredible. and Spain. But, you know, but it's not in history textbooks. And now that they don't want to, you know, Republicans don't want to include us in their textbooks. They want to just keep it all whitewashed in Texas. It, it, it's it's a it's a real a real shame. And hopefully we can kill this filibuster someday, you know, soon because we're running out of time so we can yeah. maybe override some of these things.
1: I agree with you there. The filibuster is stupid and it's self-imposed. Yeah, like, yeah, there's, yeah. there's, not, I mean, there's nothing in the rule book. Like, can, I quote,
2: can I quote you, Andrew? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, you can. I love totally. it. The
2: filibuster is stupid.
1: <laughs> it is. I mean, it, it genuinely is.
2: Yeah, it wasn't, it, even, like, it wasn't even the founding fathers didn't even have it. It was made up by the Senate. Nowhere. Yeah, during the Jim Crow years. Yeah.
1: It's an arbitrary house rule oh, I mean, yep. when I say house. I mean, it's an arbitrary got Senate it's came up yep. with. And it's just been like, you know, living on and on and on. Um, and if you got to ask yourself, it's like what body would try and make it harder for them to do their job? You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like yeah. it's hard enough to get a majority of senators to do something. It's like, hey, let's have a super majority be necessary instead. Just for like no real reason. Right. Like, so, that,
2: oh. so that 35 people can <laughs> obstruct what America wants constantly. Uh, it, it, yeah, it it doesn't make any sense. The founding fathers would have never came up with such a ridiculous rule.
1: Yeah, they did it. You know, it's just the Senate decided to adopt it, uh, and they can unadopt it. And everyone agrees, interestingly enough, that all you need is a majority of senators, and you can get rid of the filibuster. That that's except except
2: Joe Manchin and Sinema.
1: Oh no! If you if, if <laughs> yeah, like you need them to get on board. But if you had fifty one senators or fifty with Kamala as a tiebreaker, then you could get rid of the filibuster. And they should get rid of the filibuster. We're running out of time. I completely agree with you.
2: We got less than we got about 200 days uh, about that, right? Till um, the election for the 2020 midterm elections. And if we lose the House and the Senate, we're done.
1: Yeah, we got to maximize the impact right now. I couldn't agree more. It's one reason I went to Georgia to Try and win that the, those seats and oh good for you man. Seats, you, like, oh, thank thank you man you did it like freaking maximize oh thank that you thank you thank you Andrew blast. thank
2: you for that it's, it's very important like you you taking the responsibility of, of making a change because that's how change happens is if we all put it on our backs
1: yeah so on that topic I'm going to share my own story and I just want to hear what your story on this side mm-hmm. um, so I'm the son of immigrants Asian American immigrants and I I tell people. My family did not talk about American politics a whole lot in in my household. Uh, And it was certainly not presented as something that my brother and I should pursue professionally. (laughs) That was was not the message. Uh, And and one of the things that uh, I saw recently was that both Asian Americans and Latinos are the most underrepresented in terms of elected officials. Of any communities in oh, the wow. country we were neck and neck with each other by the way it was like Asians are the most underrepresented Latinos are like right there
0: wow. next to
1: it um uh and part of that is that uh we don't engage politically at the same level as mm. other communities uh and that's like a fairly consistent strain and I share with people it's like look my parents didn't talk about this this stuff either I'm yeah. not even sure like who they voted for or what was going on um, and so you are very, very politically active. I'm obviously very politically active. Like, uh, do you see something similar in the Latino community in terms of engagement? And then, uh, like, mm-hmm. how did you get so, so uh, activated in, in politics if you had the same kind of experience I did? Maybe you didn't because maybe your family was more into it than mine was.
2: Um, you know, I, I, I'm an immigrant myself. You know, I, I was born in Colombia and I came here when I was three years old. So I, I, I'm a son of immigrants and I'm an immigrant. Um, my family didn't really talk a lot about politics either, but my mom became political when I was in my 20s because she saw that in Queens, that Latin kids were not getting the, the library help that they needed. They weren't getting the food services they needed at school. The schools didn't have the supplies they needed. And it, and it broke my mom's heart. So she got very political back then. And uh, she even stomped for AOC. When AOC was stomping in Queens, my mom was there with her friends. They all helped her. Uh, I I, I don't I don't I think the Latin community has been very political. It's, you know, Jim Crow laws were for Latin people, too, in the 1830s. They were all over the Southwest. You know, uh, no, no dogs or, or Mexicans allowed. No Spanish allowed to be talked. You know, children in the Southwest in some schools were made to write their Spanish words and to bury them in the ground so they would never speak it again. Uh, and this has been talking about 1800s, all this stuff. And and you know there were a lot. They, there were governors in in Texas who were Mexican who helped flip Texas to America. And then as soon as they won, they booted them out. Said they were traitors and we couldn't trust them. So I think we've been politically active, just not included, not allowed. You know, poll taxes were for Latin people in Texas as well. Uh, you know, th- we're the second most lynched people in America. 6,000 Latinos Awful. were lynched, shot, burned alive from 1830 to 1930. You know, we've been denuded. We've been uh, gassed. They, 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 There's this thing called the bath rights of 1919, where immigrants were the gold standard from Latin America to come here and work and, you know, clean and farm. and But they would make them separate the men and the women, make them both get naked. And then they would sp- spray them with a, a Zyklon gas and the Nazis borrowed from this. You know, they, they would cut their hair, you know, shave their head if they had lice. And uh, then, then the riots happened because a 17 year old girl said I will, I, she did not want to go through that denuding, degrading process anymore. Um, so, yeah, you know, we, we've been through a lot of oppression we've been here politicized and, and trying to fight. But, you know, it, it was always incredibly difficult and, and to a peril to our own lives.
1: Well, hopefully we can change that and make it easier. And it is true that right now there's a movement around the country trying to disenfranchise people, uh, you know, like people are redrawing districts in very dark ways. Uh, And, you know, there's a very basic principle that most people would agree with, which is voters should choose uh, lawmakers, not the other way around, which is right now lawmakers are trying to choose voters. Uh, It's a it's a very destructive uh, approach to governing. And unfortunately, the, there are a lot of people that are heading that direction and it's affecting black and brown voters the most. Um, you know, the, well, one of the things I learned in Georgia is uh, that Asian Americans were like the, you know, new swing vote in part because they were yeah. like the more, more recent arrivals there. And I was stunned at how many Asians were in Georgia? Uh, truly, I mean, I was there to activate any voter. Like, I <laughs> walked around that? with with MLK three, but I got to say, like, uh, I was like, this is like enormous Asian neighborhood. The food is delicious. Like, you know, course, <laughs> all, yeah. all, all this stuff. I like, I had a blast down there. I mean, it, it was really sad when, you know, the six Asian women were, oh, were shot terrific. in that, that area. Terrific. Like. uh, because I felt like I'd actually walked through those neighborhoods, um, but they're trying to. So sad. So the, sad. You know, the the voted the voting laws in Georgia in the same way. Um, and, and it's like a terrible response. Like you lose a race and then it's like, well, like time to make it harder to vote. Right. I mean, like, you know, like, yeah.
2: Instead of let's not, come up with some new ideology, let's come up with some new, uh, you know, mottos or logos that will turn people on. No, let's, Or
1: ideas I'm or sure. policies, or maybe yeah. we should have a change of heart. Instead, it's like, oh, let's change the voting laws. Uh, and and when I was in Georgia too, John, like the ads were so fear mongering, it was crazy. It was literally like you know, vote for David Perdue to save America. Right. And then there would and then there would be an image of uh, John Ossoff like standing with a bunch of black people, and it was like <laughs> like the whole so thing racist. was so it, it, it was so yeah so, yeah yeah. And, 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 and I got to say, yeah, like when I was there, I was like, we got to win this race just to show like that this messaging doesn't work. Um, and the, the messaging didn't work, but it came really close. I mean, th- those races came down to, you know, about one percent of voters. Um, so, the, so it was like. But, very, but very luckily,
2: tight. luckily, Trump thought he was like uh, uh, working for, for them by saying that, you know, elections aren't fair. But he turned off his own people. He turned his people off from voting, which was incredible. I was like, oh, I'm so glad that shit backfired on him. It made me so happy.
1: Yeah, th- those were, it was, it was wild, man. Cause like I was celebrating those victories being like, Oh my gosh, we won the Senate and then, incredible, you know, ter- incredible. and then terrible things out of DC. Like, you know, I think it was literally later that day where like friends in Congress, I'm like texting them being like, you all right, you all right. And then they're like freaking hiding in in, in various rooms. Um, we, like you said, we don't have that much time. We got to activate people, uh, get some laws passed, get rid of this filibuster, do as much good as we can in the time we have because there are a lot of Americans that have just lost a lot of confidence or faith, um, you know, that we can actually make some positive change. Um, you're all about positive change. It's one reason I love you. It's one reason why so yeah. many people love you. I, I I think that there's something really important to art, uh, creativity, uh, film, like all, all this stuff, like culture, like, you know, that, I mean, there are people like you that are sending out these incredibly positive messages and products where, where like you know it, it's elevating like people feel from you that great things are still possible uh and, and i feel like that's needed more than ever like i think it's going to be crucially important in new york city i think it's going to be crucially important all, all throughout america i'm so grateful uh to be talking to you and have this conversation with you and to consider you a friend because you you are one of the greatest creatives of our time uh, oh thank you hope- thank you andrea
2: I, I love you back man i feel like you're such a powerful voice for all of us and for the Asian community, for the Latin community, for the black community. I mean, we're all one people really, you know, and we're stronger together. And and I really believe that. I I believe all of us working together is such a powerful force. It's such a hopeful message and, and the way society functions at its best. I mean, why is New York city one of the greatest cities in the world? Because look at all of us. It's, it's not a monolith. you know, it's, it's multicultural and this melting pot and cross pollination of, of nationalities, religions, cultures is so beautiful and so you know, it just makes it makes everything so creative and so so hopeful.
1: Amen. That's a beautiful vision of New York City. Let's make it a reality as quickly as we can. Yeah, yeah, John yeah. John yeah. Like Wizamo, thank you so much, brother. Thank Appreciate you, the big heck hug, out of hug. you. Love and you, I will see you very soon. Love you too, brother.